Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. So, hi there. Happy Sunday. And I'm calling it Sunday because I'm going to air this, of course, on Sunday. And I'm talking here on Sunday, so here we go. Give everybody a little something to listen to instead of the Super Bowl. Uh, Right now, there's an awful lot of chatter, of course. And it's not new chatter, necessarily, because it's occurred for a number of years here. Certainly since uh, 2018, I would say, that in essence, there would have to be some kind of a event or some kind of a wake-up event that takes place during the Super Bowl. And of course, I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl, but if there is some kind of a wake-up event or something that does occur, you know, so be it. I'm all for it, almost regardless of what it is. Uh, even the, of course, ridiculous AI system is, has made the exact same claim. So again, I don't know what to believe regarding any of that, but again, if, if something does happen, that would be certainly a nice place to do it. Uh, in particular, again, given the crowd and the eyes that are on it and waking up the sheep. You know, anything to cancel the game, anything to uh, delay the game, even pulling the plug and, and yanking the power on the entire stadium, something to that effect. That would be interesting if that actually occurred. Uh, Either way, I've got a lot to get to here. And again, like I said, I'm going to air this here today on Sunday because, uh, yeah, just give you something else to listen to instead of the the dumper bowl. So there we go. I'll start with this. And this is is interesting. Of course, I refer to this as the pinata that keeps on giving. Uh, Simone Gold, ladies and gentlemen. So here's the fun part. Last week, Steve, who has been a guest on the show, got a hold of me and sent me uh, a very recent Simone Gold clip, whereas last week, again, she was apparently on the latter half of InfoWars with Kate Daly. And uh, he said, (laughs) he said, here's your favorite doctor again. And I thought, oh, Lord, here we go. So I watched it, and she was on for maybe 30, 40 minutes. Um... There's a lot of there's a lot here. So, first of all, the reason of course I think that Kate Daly has her on and and talks to her and and believes Simone Gold was because Kate Daly is emotionally wrapped up in it. Of course, I didn't know who she was before she sort of went viral telling her story about her husband and the hospital protocol that was killing him and making him more sick and then she got a hold of America's frontline doctors and then they gave her the protocol she gave the protocol to the hospital, the hospital implemented it, and then her husband was fine, and then they repeated the same thing at home, and her husband survived, and everything was great. And as you've heard me say, I'm not saying that AFLDS hasn't saved people's lives. It's mathematically impossible that they haven't. They certainly have. However, Kate Daly is apparently unaware of what's been going on with Simone Gold, and she's decided to just take the side of Simone Gold. And again, she has an emotional investment in Simone Gold and certainly in America's frontline doctors or what what used to be America's frontline doctors. And she's believing Simone Gold when Simone Gold says, hey, look, I'm I'm falsely being attacked here by people who want to silence me, quote unquote, because I'm telling the truth and I'm I'm on the right side of history. It's as if, again, it's evident Kate Daly doesn't understand what's going on, number one. And number two, it's evident that Simone Gold is is continuing to milk 
certain people for all they're worth. And she's using their platforms and their shows to get out her message, regardless of how inaccurate it may be, because she knows that she can use these people. Now, as you've heard me say before, when I was on Kate Daly's show just that one time, and I wasn't interested in being back, when you're on with Kate Daly in between, as a guest in between the commercial breaks, she stays on the line with you and you're having a conversation with her that isn't airing. And I told her, as we were talking over the phone, I said, you're going to want to watch out. You're going to want to stay away from Simone Gold. You're going to want to watch out for AFLDS because people are not associating anymore. Dr. Lee Merritt is a solid person, but, uh, you know, and, and a lot of other people are, but they're, they're all staying away from Simone Gold. This is not an accident. And she was like, oh, I've never even heard that. I, I haven't even heard that. Now, this was back again in like August or September of 2021. I, I warned her about that. That hasn't stopped her. So, again, I, you know, I don't know. She, she needs to do her due diligence. And I think that Stephanie Braille or, or Brill, however you pronounce her name, my apologies. You know, I hit her up on Substack when she was talking with Renette Sunham. And I said, you know, here's another interview of Simone Gold and her talking to Kate Daly. You might want to warn Kate Daly about what's going on. And, and she apparently did, got a hold of Kate Daly through her Substack, said, look, you need to do your due diligence here on what's going on. And you might want to, you might want to close off the communication here because there's more going on here than, than what you know. So that was good that that happened, I think. Either way, the conversation between Simone and Kate went something like this. Excuse me. First of all, Simone Gold was continuing to play the J6 J, uh, jail victim, without a doubt. Uh, she pushed Goldcare and her Goldcare membership, which apparently the website is now up. And I saw the website. Here's the thing you have to be a paid member. And. In order to become a paid member, you have to, of course, plug in all of your personal information, which takes at least 15 minutes to do. And then somewhere toward the end, I assume, there is a price available given whatever it is that you are seeking and whatever it may be, whether that be, again, medical advice or a prescription or something else. The point is, is that the membership cost is not upfront. None of it is available up front on their website without you signing in, creating an account, and then filling out a giant 15-minute long questionnaire. It's data mining as far as I'm concerned. It's digital medical data mining. If I was you, I would stay away from gold care. That's my personal opinion. As you've heard me say, they have nothing to offer. They have nothing to offer. There are other telemedicine avenues that don't involve Simone Gold. You can look these people up on the internet with a basic internet search. Don't use Google, but use Start Page or PreSearch or another search engine. And you will find these individuals. They may be in the same state as you. They may be in a neighboring state. And a lot of these doctors are licensed to practice telemedicine and, these, and their medical profession in multiple states. I, of course, on my own website, have a Dr. Cruz. This guy is licensed to practice medicine and prescribe drugs in multiple states. Jump on my website in the Documents tab, and, and you'll see it. Just scroll all the way down, and it'll be there. So I just don't think that it's – I don't think Gold Care serves a purpose. There was that avenue also. She also went 
she went a bit off the rails on two subjects, which I think, and she threw it out there very quickly, which was beyond suspicious. She said this. She said that she encouraged her supporters to email, write, and contact wagonmakerlaw.com. This is apparently the law firm or a law firm that is going after her regarding her fraudulent behavior, or at the very least, investigating what's going on with her. Simone Gold directly encouraged people to basically call and harass these individuals who are lawyers, to encourage them to stop their work and stop what they're doing and leave Simone Gold alone. This is ridiculous. Beyond ridiculous. She also claimed, and I'm going to get into that a little bit in a second because I asked AJ Gochik about that. She also said this. She said very, sort of right at the end, she threw it in very quickly, but she told Kate Daly that she has a documentary coming out about her legal battle and all of the people who have gone after her legally speaking. So she's using a a video method now, a quote-unquote documentary, to shape a narrative that she is a victim and that she's being victimized. I mean, you got to hand it to her. She's using every avenue humanly possible to paint it like she, again, is the perpetual victim and everybody else is guilty for coming after her because she's, she's the freedom fighter and she's telling the truth. You know, there's a point that Renette Sonna makes on a consistent basis, and it has to do with Simone Gold being a, you know, a borderline narcissist and also, you know, allegedly, of course, being a grifter and, and, a, and a bunch of other things. What's interesting about that is that they are not mutually exclusive. Same thing with being a, a you know, a quote-unquote freedom fighter or medical freedom person and a narcissist. You know, that you can't be one or the other. Uh, well, right. The implication that Renette Sunum consistently makes is basically that you have to be one or the other. My argument would be no, that uh, it's, it's completely plausible for an individual to be a freedom fighter, so to speak, using that term loosely regarding Simone Gold, but also be a narcissist, that you can be a grifter and be a freedom fighter, quote unquote, at the exact same time. That this is, you know, playing both sides of the coin, so to speak, or playing both sides of, of a particular situation is, uh, is common. That, that's not necessarily something that, again, where it has to be one or the other. It's not binary. So I just wanted to throw that out there, too. Um, let's see. Okay, so here, here was basically A.J. Gochik's response regarding the legal stuff uh, in, in relation to Simone Gold, because again, I, I asked him and I said, hey, you know, what does this mean? Um, but then before that, I asked, him, I asked him that question that I posed on my last show, which was just very broadly speaking, before I get back to Simone Gold, when it comes to trying all of the jab-related stuff, you know, what is it exactly that has to happen in a court of law and do judges and lawyers have to recuse themselves because they're directly involved one way or another? Here was AJ's response to that question. He said, just wanted to quickly respond to your question about whether a judge, prosecutor, or juror would have to recuse themselves in a proceeding in which they have used a product such as a vaccine or these vaccines uh, at issue in the case. He said, I have never heard of any case, let alone rule 
or standard that requires removal for simply using a product at issue in the case. I am certain that the judges and jurors who smoke cigarettes have sat on cases involving the safety of products manufactured by the tobacco companies. Judges who have iPhones or Mac computers can preside in cases over Apple's products. Where it gets questionable is where a judge or prosecutor has made public statements such as, quote-unquote, the vaccines are safe and effective, unquote, or, quote, people should get vaccinated, unquote. Those are more difficult cases because the judge's impartiality might be compromised. Though I remember reading a case where a judge made political statements before becoming a judge that affirmative action was bad policy and should be struck down but was still permitted to preside in a case having to do with affirmative action. Obviously, if a judge or their spouse owns shares in stock in Pfizer or Moderna, they're out. If they ever defended or prosecuted a case against Pfizer in the past, they're out. So, that, I mean, that makes sense. I, I fully get that. I then asked him, I said, so what about the question of whether or not you know, you have a uh, you, you have a judge or a jury or or lawyers themselves who are under the guise of this being a t- uh, basically a vaccine. When of course it's not. It's not the definitional meaning of a vaccine, and it is clearly a bioweapon based on the definition of a bioweapon. He got back to me again, and it makes sense. He, he basically said, if an individual believes they're driving a car and they drive it, and then it stops working, and it turns out to be a lemon, it doesn't mean that they still can't prosecute. It doesn't mean that they still can't uh, have a say in, in, in the case and what goes on and, and be on that case. So that makes sense, too. Again, even if everybody's been lied to about what it actually is, and they're operating under a false definition of what it actually is, I, I would suppose that those real definitions would have to come out in a court of law. So... There's that aspect, which again, I wanted to I wanted to sort of clear up as best I could, and I I believe AJ's explanation 100%. Um, regarding Simone Gold, now back to her real quick. I asked, of course, AJ about Simone Gold's comments regarding having the public email, write, and essentially harass a law firm. And here's what he said. He said, thanks, I'll try to catch up on that stuff this weekend. He said, soliciting to the public to harass a firm into dropping a case is not only pathetic, but may have legal implications of their own. Gold is apparently a licensed attorney. She could face sanction by the bar or even a lawsuit against for interfering with another party's legal representation. Tort of interference with contract extortion would have to research the issue more, unquote. Yeah, again, at face value, it seems odd. And again, he even said, look, she's a lawyer. She should know better. But this right here, I mean, it plays right into her character and her lack of character. This is a huge problem. I mean, again, record, uh, you know, recruiting, rather, your, your quote-unquote supporters to, to go after a law firm and to leave you alone because you're in the right, that's, uh, that's not going to work out well for her. And yes, it, again, I, I think it speaks directly to her character, and it seems like in the future, if she were to be prosecuted, that could be brought against her in a court of law to play into her lack of character and, and her pattern of behavior, or what she, she would probably deem conflict resolution, whatever it may be. 
it's beyond ridiculous. And yeah, I just wanted to sort of provide that that quick update. Um, let me see here. Okay, so there's that. That's the end of Simone Gold for a little while. Unless, of course, something else is going to come up, which I'm certain it will, because you know she's the she's the pinata that just keeps producing. Uh, it's just fun to take a whack, and then all of a sudden, more more comes out. Okay, this happened this past week in Ohio, and it got zero press. Uh, maybe other than a quick little passing. Oh, a train derailment. This is a big deal, and I'm going to play a quick little piece of audio from an individual who breaks this down a little bit more. Um, but there was a giant cloud of vinyl chloride that uh, that entered the sky as a result of this train derailment. Now, how did it derail? Why did it derail here? And And what exactly is going on is beyond me, but it's beyond suspicious, I think. And the pictures are terrifying, not to mention the livestock is dying in the town now. So here's what I'm going to do. And of course, it's mixed in with oil and a, and a bunch of other things as well. Um, I'm going to play this audio very quickly. I will say this too, which was this was an abomination. I put the video up on my Gab page a few days ago. There was a reporter from a DC outlet who was in East Palestine, Ohio, which is where this occurred. And Mike DeWine was there giving a uh, a statement or something along those lines in in the gymnasium of a school. There were there were all kinds of individuals in the in the gymnasium. Uh, there were military individuals, there were law enforcement individuals, politicians, and there were plenty of news people there as well. This particular guy was giving basically a, a news briefing in the back of the room. He was whispering, he was talking on camera, and then a major, major general or someone from the National Guard approached him and started essentially yelling at him to leave and that he needed to leave, put his hands on him and whatever else. And then what you saw was just terrible. And this right here, I think, paints a much larger and broader picture as to how deep of trouble we could possibly be in in the future if law enforcement doesn't pull their collective heads out of their backsides. If they all just do what they're told all of the time, American citizens are going to have to stand up against law enforcement. So in this interaction, what ends up occurring is you end up having just random people come up to this guy now. A couple of police officers are trying to settle down uh, some of the military people and whatever else, and they're getting around him, and he's still whispering, this reporter, but he's saying, look, I have a First, uh, you know, first Amendment right to be here. I mean, I get to be here. And he's not shouting or screaming, he's whispering. And again, they're on the other side of the gymnasium to the entrance doors, whereas Mike DeWine and, and his cronies are on the other side of the other side of the gym. Uh, before you know it, they're telling him to leave. He says, I don't have to leave. I'm a reporter. I'm allowed to be here. And he's recording and, and so on and so forth. And then they start putting their hands on him a little bit more. And he's saying, don't touch me. Get your hands off me, whatever else. They tell him to leave. He turns around. And they, they escort him out, and they're in the atrium. And he says a few more words. He's not cursing at him at all. And before you know it, they say, you're under arrest. 
And instead of cuffing the guy, because he's not resisting, instead of cuffing him while he's standing up, they throw him to the ground. I mean, they tackle him, throw him to the ground, get on top of him. He's a big dude. But they could have just cuffed him right then and there if they, if they actually had to. But he was already leaving. The point is, is that in these law enforcement people's minds, and again, it doesn't matter who it is. If it's the National Guard telling law enforcement to do something, if it's a, you know, I don't know, some other sheriff's deputy or, or whatever, it's almost like a switch gets clicked on in all of their collective idiotic minds. And then all of the sudden they all just pounce and they all just kick it up, you know, to an, to a completely different level. And then they become hostile when they don't have to be. This entire spillage, this entire vinyl chloride train derailment thing is beyond suspicious. And again, it happens in a remote part of Ohio on the Pennsylvania border. Mike DeWine's the governor. He's dirtier than, than you could possibly imagine. And nationwide, again, I know that there are a lot of other governors that get attention. You've got DeSantis, Abbott, Kathy Hockle in New York, uh, Gavin Newsom, you know, so on and so forth. But my, I'm telling you, Mike DeWine is a gem. He's an absolute gem. He is a pearl in the mouth of a clam that really no one pays attention to, and he is as dirty as dirty gets. Keep in mind, this is the same jab-related uh, raffle raffle guy. You know, he was one of the first in the country to do that. Everybody get your jabs and prove you've been jabbed, and you could be in the drawing for a million dollars. I mean, this is the do we're talking about here. So I just think it paints an even worse picture on law enforcement because, again, all of the politicians are saying the exact same thing. All of the politicians are taking the same side. And that right there, again, should be a giant red flag for anybody. There was also an engineering student who has some TikTok videos out there, a former engineering student. He said that he studies things like this just for fun. But it was also, again, a part of his general schooling. And he's familiar with a lot of the legalese, so to speak, and a lot of the political talk that occurs among these agencies and what actually goes on. He said with, uh, with, with vinyl chloride, what you end up having when it hits the sky and then comes in contact with water is you end up with hydrochloric acid. He said, so this is all basically just existing in the atmosphere now, and that's not going to have a good impact on anything, not to mention it's soaking its way into the ground. On top of that, apparently the entire train track was built on top of ground that already had toxic material buried underground. So this crash apparently occurred at a location where the track itself had been built on top of already toxic material. And then, of course, you have this spillage as well. Now it's been reported, of course, that a lot of this air, so to speak, and these, these toxic clouds have, of course, moved their way through Pennsylvania, through New York, and other states along the East Coast. If, if you really wanted to make individuals sick, and if you really wanted to kill off livestock, this right here seems like a, a logical way to do it, doesn't it? You have a quote-unquote train derailment. Again, how often does that happen? They're all suspicious as far as I'm concerned, but, you know, whatever, because there have been some odd ones in the past. Remember the one with the uh, Republican congressmen all aboard? Or I don't know how many were aboard, but it was a good deal of them. That was suspicious. There have been numerous others, of course, 
But uh, as, again, one of the individuals who broke this down was specifically describing, he himself said he studies these train derailments specifically because there are some patterns to them. I'm not going to get into it, of course, because I don't know that much about it, other than the fact that from a biological weapon standpoint, knowing which way the wind blows, it certainly seems like if you wanted something toxic to enter the air as the wind is blowing, this would be the way to do it. Again, it's killing, it's killing the chickens. It's killing the livestock. If it's doing that, it has to be having a major negative effect on other animals, let alone humans. Not to mention, what are the long-term effects of this? Politicians, of course, would tell you and local, local law enforcement would say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a big deal and there's no long-term health effects. Well, that's what they said about the uh, trade towers coming down on 9-11 and look how that worked out. So, you know, again, are we talking cancers? Probably. Numerous cancers in the future, I, I would venture to guess. But there you go. I just wanted to mention that because, again, that happened on the other side of the state where I live, and it got next to zero uh, media attention. But that is a big, big deal. And uh, it's just, a, I don't know, it's another thing to watch for, train derailments, and what are they carrying? So there's that. Okay. I wanted to touch on this one, too. Now we're into education-related issues. This happened uh, a week or so ago. Beyond sad, to say the least. And again, this is one of those subjects that's right in my wheelhouse, and this is one of those subjects that uh, I've written about at length in almost all of my books. This had to do with a New Jersey 14-year-old girl who was attacked in school, Adriana Cooch, if I'm saying that right, or Kutch. Um, she killed herself on February 3rd, two days after a video aired of her being attacked in the hallway. Now, she's walking along, if you haven't seen the video, she's walking along a hallway along a set of lockers, basically. And there's a boy with her. I don't know if it's her boyfriend or, or not, but there's a boy with her. And the boy is on the outside. No, I'm sorry. He's on the inside. He's, he's walking alongside of the lockers, and she is walking with her body closest to the hallway. Now, I know a great deal about self-defense, and I know a great deal about being aware of your surroundings. And it's evident, again, that a lot of students and, and young people don't know, plenty of adults don't know this either, but I will provide this little tip. It's something I've learned along the way. When you're walking with someone, it almost doesn't matter who it is. If, if you're an aware person and you're vigilant about your surroundings and you're walking with someone who might not be, or you're walking with your significant other, and you want to protect them in a particular way, of course, hopefully you would want to, your body needs to be in between the, un the oncoming traffic, whether that be, again, automobiles or people, and your significant other. So in this particular situation, again, I'm not criticizing her or the boyfriend or the, or the guy she was walking with. That's not what I'm doing. It's just a Quick little vigilant lesson that you need to be, you know, the vigilant person needs to be in between the person you're with and other people, essentially. Whether, again, you're walking down a sidewalk or you're walking around any other particular area, just be aware of your surroundings. So, in any case, 
coming in the opposite direction or sort of from her side, I guess, is, is another girl. And there are two girls, but one of them apparently, or so it seems, hits Adriana in the face with what looks like a can, almost like a can of soda or something like that. It looked like a hard object, but bashes her in the face with it. Um, some liquid spills out of it, whatever else, and, and she falls to the ground, and then she's protecting her head, and one of the girls is, is punching her, and the guy is is getting her away, and then another girl starts punching her, and then the guy again intervenes and, and gets her away, and then teachers are rather quick on the scene and and break break the whole thing up. I have seen worse attacks. I have seen worse fights by far. But what goes on here is is the saddest part, which is it was uploaded online by the very people who were involved in the attack. Of course, the person holding the phone and doing the recording was directly involved with the other two girls who were doing the actual physical attacking. And then after that, after it's online, of course, she's being humiliated online doesn't want to go back to school, knows that, and, and this is the kicker, and this is really arguably one of the more important parts. Adriana is well aware, as numerous students are in a school building, that administrators will do nothing when it comes to discipline. That they will do absolutely nothing when it comes to protecting students. Because again, the line they always say is, is that student safety is our number one priority. That couldn't be further from the truth. And it, that was the case in this particular case. So, unfortunately, she took her own life. The Adriana girl, uh, a couple of days after the fact. And was it a race-related attack? Probably. She was attacked by either two Mexican girls or two black girls. It's hard to tell in the video. Um, and she is white. Adriana's white. As a result of all of this, the superintendent, whose name I can't even pronounce, it looks like it's, again, Hispanic, Greek, and Italian, all, all mixed into one. Um, he has resigned, apparently, because he, uh, I don't know, made some derogatory comments regarding Adriana and criticizing her. Uh, let's see. said that we always address every issue of bullying. And on the day of the incident, four students were suspended. Superintendent also attacked the deceased teen. And again, a lot of this comes from the Daily Mail. But it says, in astonishing emails to the DailyMail.com, the superintendent, again, whose name I can't even pronounce or even try, uh, of Central Regional School District, who is paid $190,000 a year, said Adriana, who killed herself in her bedroom closet on February 3rd, two days after being beaten, had offered, had been offered counseling for drugs. He also made a shocking allegation against the girl's grieving father, 22-year Army veteran, claiming that he had an affair when Adriana was seven that drove her mother to commit suicide and later moved the woman into the house. So the superintendent's openly making these statements about his own family, uh, you know, her own family, her, her family, her father, and her. It says that woman is Adriana's stepmother, Michael's wife, Sarah, who spoke with DailyMail.com through tears on Friday morning as they prepared Adriana for visitation ahead of her funeral tomorrow. Uh, let's see. 
when asked about the services the superintendent provided information and said, after Adriana's mother's suicide since her father was having an affair at the end of her sixth grade, her father married the woman and had an affair with he had an affair with and moved her into the house. Her grades and choices declined in seventh and eighth grade. Again, she made poor choices and blah, blah, blah. Again, trying to deflect from their own responsibility is, is, cons- is a consistent pattern of behavior with numerous individuals who work within school buildings. Ladies and gentlemen, I used to work in a middle school where a school teacher quite literally attempted to frame a student for having a scratch on her hand and claiming that the scratch on her hand, which came from the back of the metal seat inside of the teacher's own classroom, that that scratch on her hand was a cigarette burn from her own parents. And the teacher themselves, a female teacher and a female student, that the female teacher concocted this story after the female teacher physically assaulted the female student during a fire drill where I was present and I watched her shoulder, forearm shiver basically, this female student to the ground, which was all caught on video. But in an effort to discredit the student and the student's telling of the story, even though it was caught on video, the teacher openly engaged in this attempted frame job to try to get CPS to show up to the children's parents' home, their home, and either have the child taken out or discredit the entire family or discredit the student to make them sound like they're all liars and they can't be trusted. I'm telling you, the minds of some of the people that work in these environments is beyond poisonous. It's beyond poisonous. I've said it a thousand times. These environments are for the uncivilized. They are not for, indiv- for, for peaceful individuals who are looking to do right in the world, uh, learn accurate information, which we know isn't being taught in American schools, and then do God's work as, as they leave those environments. These environments are not for those people. It's, it's not for the healthy-minded. It's not even for anybody who wants to get better. These environments hurt people, make them worse, and are only for criminals and the uncivilized. I I don't know what else I can add other than the fact that it's remarkably sad. Um, Fortunately, the superintendent in the case has resigned as a result of his comments. The dad, of course, wants the entire school board gone. There is a giant culture of administrators within the entire district not following up on discipline. There are multiple reasons for that, many of which I've been over on this show over numerous episodes, lots of reasons for that. They want to paint themselves in the best image. They think that sweeping the problems under the rug is the best approach. Of course, it's not. They don't want the students to get expelled because they'll lose money. They don't want lawsuits. They don't want civil suits. They don't want this. They don't want that. So they just think that downplaying discipline. And, uh, and giving as many second chances as humanly possible is going to paint everybody in a better picture, and that never works. Cutting more excuses for negative behavior always makes negative behavior worse. And again, I was a school teacher when this, when this really ramped up. 
when I started to see individuals who would have a referral written for them to be suspended out of school for a very serious physical altercation that would turn into what was referred to in the building where I lived as a red flag. And they were these little red, stupid little like sticky note things that we would have to give students. If they got three red flags, then it was a detention. If they got six red flags, it was an out of school suspension. If they got nine red flags, it was, you know, this, that, or the other. It it was a step process, which they called it a step process, but they created this giant chart and it would show people like, okay, we're giving you all these chances to do the right thing. If you keep screwing up, then we're going to you know, ramp up the so-called consequences. Ladies and gentlemen, the students who engage in illegality in a school building or any environment for that matter don't care about the law. They don't care about your rules. If they did, they wouldn't break them. Period. That's why uh, gun-free zone signs don't work. Criminals don't care about your signs. Delinquent students and uncivilized students and criminally-minded students don't care about your warnings. They never have. This entire case, again, is is emblematic of the Emily Olson case from eight eight eight-some-odd years ago. I was directly involved in that in telling the local newspaper why students kill themselves after they are being bullied or harassed or physically assaulted in school. They do it not just because there's an online humiliation element associated with it, but they do it because they know that the school environment isn't going to do anything about it. They're not going to do the logical thing. And as you've heard me say too, and as I've written about in the past, they always take these incidents with these students regarding violence and they they privatize them they make it private they don't publicize the student or the or the act that they engaged in and that's a massive problem because all that does is create a prison like environment where lying takes place so numerous students start lying about the particular incident and then students and staff members start to hear things that aren't real about the particular incident, like who the guilty party was and why were they fighting in the first place or whether there were drugs or weapons brought into the building. Instead of just a administrator or even a school resource officer coming over the PA system and saying, this student by name has been suspended now permanently because they just did this. Let this be a lesson to everybody. If you do this, you are gone permanently. Ladies and gentlemen, you would have violence decrease in school buildings instantly if that were the case. But unfortunately, there's all these codes of conduct slash laws that basically say, well, they're minors and you can't tell people what happened uh, because they're a minor. Again, this particular story blows that out of the water because we're hearing about this, this girl who took her own life and was bullied and the video that proves it and physically assaulted. And they're all minors anyway. So we're hearing about it and watching it as it happens and then after the fact. But school environments are saying that they're not allowed to talk about it to even their own staff members or students in an effort to warn people about negative behavior and what to do and not do. So the two don't equate. Again, these are not environments for thinking people. People need to homeschool. It is that simple. If this was a homeschooling family, this, is, this was a girl who was 
of age to read and write. She could clearly read and write. She had no business being in this environment. None. Zero. Students and their families have no idea how peaceful things can be when the student can, when the child can learn on their own in a peaceful environment with nothing but peace and quiet, where they can bounce around the internet, explore, investigate, think, have that silence, ask questions, maybe hear the voice of God from time to time. But as long as this keeps going on, don't be surprised for this to get ramped up. California, of course, is a perfect example. The state of California has recently put through a bill where discipline of any kind, any kind of disruption in the classroom, any kind of violent act is not going to be one that's going to bring about expulsion or even suspension. And that there's, I mean, it's, a, it's becoming a state law. This again, I've heard of this before. It's not necessarily a new thing. I mean, it's new as of as of being new recently, but this mentality of putting forth such a bill or such a law that would that would decriminalize violent behavior within schools, at that point it's worse than prison. It's just worse. There's no way that an environment like that is going to get better with time. These environments are just, uh, they're becoming worse. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep rambling about it if I keep talking about it. But here's another example. 23 Baltimore schools have zero students proficient in math and state proficiency test results, as the test results reveal. Give this audio a listen real quick from the local Baltimore news outlet. Baltimore City is facing a devastating reality as the latest round of state test scores are released. Our Project Baltimore team analyzed the results, and as Chris Papps reports, there's a shocking number of city schools where not a single student is doing math at grade level. I see the brightness of Baltimore kids. It's now been more than a year. We're not living up to our potential. Since Giovanni Patterson made national headlines by suing Baltimore City Schools for failing to properly educate generations of students. We, the taxpayer, are funding our own demise. Patterson was born here. He has seen the failures firsthand. But what Project Baltimore just told him at first rendered him speechless. <laughs> My immediate reaction is take your kids out of these schools. The Maryland State Department of Education has released a 2022 state test results known as MCAP, Maryland Comprehensive Assessment Program. Baltimore City's math scores were the lowest in the state. Just 7% of third through eighth graders tested proficient in math. That means 93% could not do math at grade level. But that's not all we found. Project Baltimore combed through scores at all 150 city schools where the state math test was given. We found in 23 Baltimore city schools, there were zero students who tested proficient in math. Not a single student. Is this why you filed your lawsuit because of outcomes like this? Absolutely. Absolutely. It just sounds like these schools now have turned into essentially babysitters with no accountability. This is the future of our city. You know, like we, you know, we got to change this. 
Among the list of 23 schools, here's how the numbers break down. 10 of them are high schools. 8 are elementary schools. 3 are middle high schools. And 2 are elementary middle schools. Exactly 2,000 students in total took the state math test at these schools. And not one could do math at grade level. These kids can't do math. You're not preparing them to buy groceries. You're not preparing them to do accounting, to count their own money. You're, you're, you're not preparing them to read contracts and negotiate salaries. We made the largest investment in public education by any governor in our state's history. Governor Westmore, last week, in his first State of the State address, made his feelings about public education clear. It's one of his top priorities. We can no longer separate our vision for economic prosperity from the duty to make Maryland's public schools the best in the nation. After his State of the State address, Project Baltimore reached out to Moore's office, asking to speak with him about his plan to improve education. Before becoming governor, Moore lived in Baltimore. We wanted to ask him how he plans to help city students, especially those who attend these 23 schools. Governor Moore's office did not respond, but city schools did send us a statement with steps it's taking to improve math scores, including professional development for teachers, summer learning, and an extended learning period at the end of the day. The statement said, we're confident these instructional strategies will help us regain the momentum and progress we experienced before the pandemic. Zero percent. What are you preparing these kids for? Are we expecting these kids to kill also themselves? I mean, we see the number of teen shootings happening just this year. What jobs do we are we preparing these kids for? That's the future. Within the state testing data, we found three additional Baltimore City schools with zero students proficient in math. One is a school for incarcerated youth. The other two are for students with disabilities. We did not include them in the list of 23 schools. It's also worth pointing out, we found an additional 20 schools that had just one or two students who were proficient in math. We have posted all of these schools on our website, foxbaltimore.com. The irony that the news outlet can't even do math. So that's 46 schools in total. 46 are not proficient in math. You can't fix this. You cannot fix it. I don't care what politician stands on a pulpit and says whatever they want to say. You can't throw money at it. You can't fix it. You can't rehire. You can't do anything. You cannot fix it. The reasons as to why it can't ever be fixed, ladies and gentlemen, are endless. Absolutely endless. I'm just going to throw this in because it kind of ties into what we're going to talk about next, as you might expect. They're jabbed. They're probably all jabbed. It doesn't matter if it's predominantly African-American or not. Yes, that plays a role, I'm sure, but they're jabbed. How many of them are jabbed? I'm not sure. I'm going to take a guess and say it's a lot. Doesn't take a lot to jab a person, as we know, just a little bit of coercion and then, you know, a little bit of panic. Not to mention, of course, they're now adding 
the COVID jabs to uh, the bioweapons directly to the youth, birth, youth, and adolescent vaccine schedule, which I'm going to get into right now. But ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the dots are so flipping close to each other to not be able to connect them. You have to have your head in the sand. There, there's no other way. You have to leave these government environments. If government pays people to do a particular thing, do not send your child to that particular thing. That's the environment we are in now because we are in war. And that needs to be brought up again. We are in war. This is a war. The war is continuing. It's not stopping. And I'm not fear mongering, I'm just telling the truth. The peaceful end of all of this, of course, is leaving these government institutions, and anybody can do that. Let me give you another, another quick example, too. Uh, North Carolina State University just had its seventh student die this year. Seventh. There's no way that that's the only one. They've just decided to stop counting at seven. That's all. There have to be students in between that they have found that are dead, that they haven't commented on, other staff members. But a seventh one just died. That's one, that's one university campus. How many branch campuses do they have? How many universities are across the United States of America? So on and so forth. This is a biological weapon. And we're wondering why, again, people's math scores aren't great. There's more going on here than just a test score. Yes, there are bad teachers. They probably don't know what the hell they're teaching. Yes, there's societal problems. Yes, there's the breakdown of the family, violence, drugs, technology influence, so on and so forth. It's, it's a million things. But the jab is the, is the thread that runs through all of this. It runs through every single facet of our society right now and the, and the consequences of that. And that's, that, you know, that's not one of those things that gets better with time. So there you go. Another quick story here from California. California teacher fired for refusing to lie to parents about student gender identity. Uh, yeah. Again, a California teacher laid off because they didn't want to keep it a secret from the parents that the child was confused and wants to pretend to be the sex for which they are not. California. I, you know, I don't know what else to say here. Getting into the jab avenue, this is, uh, this is awful too. This comes from the Daily Clout, titled Fingerprints of Unvaccinated New York City Teachers Are Flagged to the FBI. Data harvesting. They've been doing this a long time. The medical industry has been doing it on us for a very long time. The FBI, of course, is involved. All the more reason to get rid of the FBI. But this seems like a massive class action lawsuit against the New York City schools because they're keeping track of who's jabbed and who's not, only to ultimately, of course, punish the ones who are not jabbed, either through bullying, coercion, maybe loss of pay, maybe uh, you know more harassment, moving their place of employment, plucking them from one building and tossing them into another, making their lives miserable so that they ultimately quit because they're not jabbed. What a nightmare. What an absolute nightmare. I said it a long time ago that the masks would have been the last straw, but even before the mask wearing, 
it would have been the closing of the schools because of a quote-unquote pandemic. That would have been the last straw for me. I would have quit right then and there. Watching everybody just do the exact same thing without an ounce of thought. I'd have said, nope, this is not a safe environment. Everybody's taking the bait. Everybody's just blindly believing this bullshit. I can't believe it. I quit. That would have been the end of it. But fortunately for me, by the grace of God, I was plucked out of this business a long time ago. And uh, it was for all the same reasons, of course, that we're seeing, just not the implementation of a biological weapon. I couldn't have guessed that, really. Not back then, anyway. This FBI story, though, it says on February 8th of this year, while arguing on behalf of fired New York City workers who declined COVID vaccination, attorney John Birch stated in open court that unvaccinated teachers in New York City were flagged with problem codes in their personnel files. And when that occurred, their quote-unquote fingerprints are sent with that flag to the FBI and the New York Criminal Justice Service. You can listen to him make his statement, blah, blah, blah. It says the source of the information is Betsy Comier, if I'm saying that right, whom wrote an affidavit in the Kane versus de Blasio case where she stated unvaccinated teachers were given a problem code label that was then sent to a national database at both the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice. It said in federal court on Friday, I'm sorry, on February 8th, rather, attorney Susan Paulson, who was defending New York City, stated that educators fired for declining COVID vaccination were not removed for misconduct, but rather for not meeting a requirement for employment. Nonsense. Nonsense. They chalked it up to insubordination, as you've heard me say. Well, they're vaccine hesitant. They're, uh, they're extremists, maybe. They're being insubordinate. They're not doing what we're telling them to do. That's a contractually breaking offense. Therefore, we're going to fire them. You know, that, that's, that's one of many angles that they probably took in this, in, in this entire scheme. But, uh, yeah. Insubordination. Using insubordination as an excuse to get rid of someone is, is, a, is a, a card that gets played on a constant basis. Oh, you're refusing to put an extra chair in your, in your classroom, even though there's not a student who's going to be sitting in it, and we told you to do something and you won't do it. That's insubordination. You do understand. You can get fired for insubordination. I mean, these are the kinds of petty things that they engage in all of the time, let alone asking people to put a biological weapon into their bloodstream, gag themselves and their students. And then go along with it. Just blindly go along with it. It's absolutely nuts. Okay. So that brings us to this. I think arguably one of the larger uh, news-related events of the entire past week, that the CDC now adds the COVID shots to the line of lists, or list rather, of routine vaccines for kids and adults. The next phase of the war is here, ladies and gentlemen. It says the COVID-19 shots are included in new schedules for routinely recommended vaccines released by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Thursday. The immunization schedules summarize current vaccine recommendations for children, adolescents, and adults, but do not set vaccine requirements for schools or workplaces. Ladies and gentlemen, they most certainly will in the future. 
They will. Schools themselves will do it because schools themselves can do it. If it's now a part of the routine vaccination schedule, K-12 schools and universities will keep their mandates in place. They will still mandate that every single person take these jabs to attend a college or a university unless you fill out an exemption, at which point I still don't recommend you fill out an exemption because if you're going to be attending a brick-and-mortar university or a college, you're still going to be around the 5G, you're still going to be around the jabbed people, and you have to assume that the vast majority, if not all, of the professors are jabbed. That's not going to be a healthy environment for America's young adults and youth, uh, let alone the K-12 environment, which again, private schools were already doing it back in early 2021. They were already mandating the jabs. And even in 2020, there were private schools saying, when these jabs come out, we're going to request that every single person who attends our private K-12 school takes these jabs. So here's what I have in front of me now. I have Table 1 from the CDC, which is the Recommended Child and Adolescent Immunization Schedule for Ages 18 Years or Younger in the United States here in the year 2023. This is an absolute nightmare because the people who receive these will be dead. It's that simple. What I'm looking at right here, which I've put it up on my Gab page, is an absolute kill chart. From birth now, it has hepatitis B at birth, one dose. And then one month to two months, they get their second dose of hepatitis B. And then, let's see, uh, four months, this is just for all hepatitis, by the way, four months, they have a range of recommended ages for catch-up vaccination. And then six months to 18 months, they're supposed to receive their third dose of a hepatitis B shot. And then from... 19 months to 18 years just for hepatitis B, you know, it's whether or not they want to get it or not. Regarding the COVID jabs specifically now, again, we're talking from birth all the way through 18 years of age. Uh, the next one down, rotavirus, two-dose series beginning at two months. And then all the way to six months, diphtheria, tetanus, uh, acellular pertussis, if I'm saying that right, the old DTaP shots, the first dose at two months, then four months, then six months, then four doses between nine months old and uh, two to three years old, followed by a fifth dose, four to six years old. Throw the flu shots and COVID jabs in the middle of all of it. Forget it. They're done. COVID shots. Here we go. Six months. They want you to have two to three doses of a primary series and a booster between six months and 18 years of age. Ladies and gentlemen, that alone will kill off anybody who takes them. Take it to the bank. You can exclude all the other jabs you want, which don't prevent anything. They're all poison. Just make the one chart, the COVID, the COVID shots, forget it. They're all dead. It's, a, it's just a giant kill program, and this right here is going to get it done. If there is a silver lining in this, it is a thin one, but it is one that does exist, which is it will force copious amounts of parents to make a decision. 
And unfortunately, many parents are going to make the decision to keep their children in because they will say stupid things like, we don't want to homeschool. We're not going to homeschool. We don't want to find another school that's not doing this. We don't want to, we don't want to engage in any effort to actually help our children avoid these, avoid these shots, for which they probably don't even know are biological weapons. Unfortunately, in this, parents are going to get their children killed because they don't want to do the legwork or expand their mind and figure out what's actually going on. That's not necessarily the silver lining. The silver lining, of course, is that there is a flip side of that coin, which is it's going to force parents to pull their children out. And again, this is Operation Warp Speed. You've heard me say it before. That's the real definition of what Operation Warp Speed is. Operation Warp Speed is really speeding up the enemy's plans to normalize these shots among the populace, to force people to make a logical decision, to remove themselves from such decision-making, and government control and government coercion, in particular regarding what government deems to be medicine when in fact it is not. That's, that's what Operation Warp Speed is. It's what it has always been. Because the long-term plan was to slow roll all of this over the course of at least a decade, if not more than that, and then force it on everybody no matter what. You know, you can't jab a homeschooler. You can't pump a homeschooler with biological weapons because there's not a single homeschooling program that requires it nor forces it nor thinks it's logical. They know it isn't. That's why they exist, and that's why they're flourishing. These public school environments are responsible, ladies and gentlemen, for the murders of their own employees and the murders of students. That needs to, that needs to resonate, I think, or it certainly needs to fertilize in your mind that that is the cold, hard truth. You can't keep sending your children to American K-12 schools and expect your children to survive. There will be more things that come down the line that will make your decision, or I should say, uh, it, will, it will force your hand. I'll just put it that way. It's going to force your hand. You're going to have to make a, a call. They will make, They will make these shots. Many school districts will make these shots mandatory even though the CDC is saying well we're not saying they need to be mandatory to attend school but when school ends then what are employers making it mandatory are universities making it mandatory etc cetera, etc cetera. we know that many of them are certainly the universities are and that's again not going to go away okay moving on here this shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, it comes from Steve Kirsch. Quote, stunning new data pulled from Medicare database shows how each shot increases your risk of death. Here's the executive summary. He says he's still gathering information data from Medicare, but a consistent picture is emerging from Medicare per uh, participants under 80 years old. Number one, Shot number one increases your risk of death by around 20% with an exponential time constant of around 150 days. Number two, shot number two increases your risk of death by an additional 20% with a time constant of around 100 days. 
shot three. And point number three, shot number three increases your risk of death by an additional 10% with a time uh, constant of around 50 days. Then it says number four, due to the limitations of the Medicare data missing vaccination data on nearly half the records, it's not clear whether the shots reduce your risk of death from COVID. We know they don't. COVID doesn't exist, and it's just a biological weapon. It continues, it says we need data that the public health authorities refuse to provide. If the shots worked, they'd want to make this data public. Keeping the data under wraps suggests that the shots not only make you more likely to die from all causes, but they also make you more likely to die from COVID. Well, there is no COVID. There's just poison. So, yeah. And there's the charts to back it up more interpretation, et cetera, et cetera. And that too comes from the dailyclout.io, but it's also, I'm sure, on Steve Kirsch's substack. Now, with all of that said, you may wonder, where is Anthony Fauci these days? What's all, you know, what's uh, what's Tone Loke doing these days? Well, as it turns out, he's publishing and he's, uh, he's writing and he's trying to cover his backside or at the very least, reword a, a, you know, a few things in order to paint a different picture. He was the third author on a journal article here from Cell Host Microbe, also, of course, available in PubMed.gov through the National Library of Medicine, National Center for Biotechnology Information. And this was published January 11th. Uh, I don't think I've read this one, so here goes the abstract. It is titled, Rethinking Next Generation Vaccines for Coronaviruses, Influenza Viruses, viruses, and Other Respiratory Viruses. Again, Anthony Fauci is the third author on this particular article. Here's the abstract, quote, Viruses that replicate in the human respiratory mucosa without infecting systemically, including influenza A, SARS-CoV-2, endemic coronaviruses, RSV, and many other common cold viruses cause significant mortality and morbidity and are important public health concerns. Because these viruses generally do not elicit complete and durable protective immunity by themselves, They have not, to date, been effectively controlled by licensed or experimental vaccines. That was interesting, wasn't it? Because these viruses generally do not elicit complete and durable protective immunity by themselves. So he's saying that you can get ill with these, but you'll get ill again. He then says, they then say, They have not to date been effectively controlled by licensed or experimental vaccines. It's an open admission that the jabs don't work for any of those things. And they're not viruses, because viruses don't exist. There's just poison. So you mean poison doesn't work for poison? And then if we poison ourselves and we're around other people who have poisoned themselves that we're not going to not get sick? 
It continues, it says, In this review, we examine challenges that have impeded development of effective mucosal respiratory viruses, emphasizing that all of these viruses replicate extremely rapidly in the surface epithelium and are quickly transmitted to other hosts within a narrow window of time before adaptive immune responses are fully marshaled. Constantly evolving, ladies and gentlemen, that we just can't catch it because we can't catch up to it because they're so smart. I haven't been sick in 10 years. Over 10, well, yeah, 10 years. It was because I was on an airplane with a bunch of jabbed people. I heard a story again the other day, too. People aren't jabbed. They're on, air, they're on airplanes with jabbed people. Nosebleeds. It's electromagnetism. It's being around jabbed people. Viruses don't exist, but the jabs that people take on a year-in and year-out basis, they're all biological weapons because they're all poisons. They don't prevent anything. They only infect the person who directly takes them and then the people that they mingle around, not through coughing and sneezing. Electromagnetism, being around them. It continues. I digress. It says we discuss possible approaches to developing next generation vaccines against these viruses in consideration of several variables such as vaccine antigen configuration. That means multi, that means by the way translation altering your DNA permanently. Dose and adjuvenation, route and timing of vaccine, vaccine boosting adjunctive therapies, and options for public health vaccination policies, unquote. All of that means we have to find ways to get more poison into people. That's what that means. And that leads me, ladies and gentlemen, to the final thing that I want to mention. Here's what I've done on my website. And I, I briefly made mention of it at the end of the last episode, but I want to spend a little more time on it on this episode. Numerous literature, of course, that exists regarding everything that's been going on. The kill program, the jabs, and all of this, by the way, is all written, of course, by the WHO, the WEF, the powers that be, etc., etc. They've laid all of this out in their own PDF documents as to what they want to do to coerce us, who's involved, the legal ramifications, the brainwashing of the masses, including the entire medical and and educational industry in order to get everybody to take these poisons on a day-in, day-out, year-in, year-out basis. It's in their own writing. So here's what I've done, and I should have done this a long time ago. So my apologies, it's a huge mistake I made. On my website now, under the Documents tab, the first, th- the first thing at the very top of that page you'll see are at least four documents, all of which I have brought up on this show in the last couple of months. These are WHO documents, that COVID kill box presentation. All of those documents are there, and anytime I come across another government-related document that has to do with the subjects that I bring up here on this particular show, I will put it up on uh, on the website under that same tab, under the documents tab, but at the very top under the government and 
you know, bioweapon information tab. They're all downloadable for free. They're all right there. These are the kinds of documents that you can use to prove to people that this kind of thing is occurring. Again, show them to individuals in your workplace if you want to, family members, anybody you want to wake up, whatever it may be. But it's, it's all right here in their literature. And the other mistake that I've made is all of the peer-reviewed articles that I've brought up in the past, I should be archiving those, and I haven't been. I, of course, have been bringing them up by title and, and reading a lot of the abstracts here on this particular show, but I haven't necessarily been keeping all of them, and I do want to do that, and I want to make sure that I upload them on the website going forward. So from here on out, if I read a particular peer-reviewed article, uh, I'm going to also link it below those government documents, and I'll just keep a running tab of all of those peer-reviewed articles, and I'll start with this Fauci document, because again, the one that I just read, because it's remarkably telling. And it's terrible because they're telling you what they want to do and that they're not going to quit. But this particular article, again, or this PDF document that I want to revisit, again, is from the World Health Organization. It was published in 2017 and it is titled Best Practice Guidance How to Respond to Vocal Vaccine Deniers in Public. This is the kind of document that you've heard me say will also be distributed to every workplace university environment, K-12 environment, state officials, um, county departments of health, all the way up and down the ladder. They all received this document, all of them, with probably a little attached note that said, you can reference us in any presentation you give, but we recommend you take these slides and make them your own which again means put your own fancy backgrounds on them, uh, you know, put pictures of children shaking each other's hands or agreeing with one another or you know, a, a teacher leaning over and talking to a student, whatever it may be, just to jazz it up for whatever particular work environment is going to implement these coercive tactics. So again, briefly, the abstract stated, the guidance document provides basic principles for a spokesperson of any health authority on how to respond to vocal vaccine deniers. The suggestions are based on psychological research on persuasion. Again, they're telling you how to manipulate you. They're telling you that they are intending to manipulate you. This was back again in 2017. It says on persuasion on research public health communication studies and on WHO risk communication guidelines. I read through the table of contents in the last episode. Now I want to get into some of the actual specific slides. Table one in the introduction says the following, and I put some of these up on Gab too, but it says, rule one, the general public is your target audience, not the vocal vaccine denier. Rule two, Aim to unmask the techniques that the vocal vaccine denier is using and to correct the content of their messages. You can see them, by the way, implement Rule 2 when it, when it came to my school board speech and what Reuters did. Reuters decided to write a fact-checking article about my speech, and they only highlighted a, you know, a certain number of points that I made. And then, of course, back then, in 2021, 
they claimed that everything that I was saying is wrong, when in fact everything that I said is 100% accurate. But they're not interested, Reuters, again, in coming to any kind of agreement on anything. It's just discredit the individual, smear their credentials, say that they're not a medical doctor, and then just deny what it is that they're saying. Well, there's no proof. There's no scientific literature that says. This is why the test of time is the only test that matters. It's the only one. And then at the bottom of that particular table of table one on the introduction page, it says the word goal. Foster resilience among the audience against anti-vaccine statements and stories. Strengthen those who are vaccine hesitant and support those who intend to vaccinate in their decision to accept vaccination. Again, we saw where all the support came, didn't we? You get a sticker that says, I've been vaccinated. You get free donuts for a year. You get free this. You get free that. You can be in a raffle for a million dollars. You can be this. You can be that. And suckers bought it. And now those suckers have AIDS. Oops. It says, what situation does this document represent? Of course, it has everything to do with conversations among individuals and then discrediting the more knowledgeable. So they have a little picture here. It says, situation one, public discussion. And they say, yes, with a check mark. That's what they want. Then it says, situation two, face-to-face in private. That's what they don't want. They don't want face-to-face in private conversations regarding vaccine denial or or the use of all of these vaccines. That's one of the reasons why they had the lockdowns, because they didn't want the public to meet up to educate one another about what was really going on. Now, that didn't stop me, and it didn't stop certain members of my family from doing what we wanted. And yes, we still had conversations about what a joke all of this is and how it's just fear-mongering and everything that comes out is going to be a lie. You would think that that would stop family members from doing what came down the pipeline. Unfortunately, it didn't for many of them. They just went along with it anyway. They defined the term vaccine denier. Get a load of this. It says vaccine deniers, this is on the next page, refers to a subgroup at the extreme end of the hesitancy continuum. People who have a very negative attitude toward vaccination and are not open to a change of mind no matter the scientific evidence. It says, figure two, vaccine deniers may even counter-react to evidence-based arguments. That's hilarious. Not vaccine supporters. They're not going to counter-react to evidence-based arguments. They're the ones, apparently, that have it all figured out. It says the vaccine denier has characteristics that are similar to other types of science deniers and to religious and political fanatics in that they adhere to a belief that is impossible to challenge, even if challenge is the fundamental tenet of scientific progress. Ladies and gentlemen, the nerve, the absolute nerve of these people, they're accusing you of the thing that they themselves are doing all of the time. I put this chart, this figure two, up on my Gab page two. It's hilarious. They have three circles. The innermost circle is the vocal vaccine denier. That, of course, would be me and all of you. 
and it says that they have a very low or zero probability of change of mind to vaccine acceptance. Then there's the vaccine refuser. They have a low probability of change of mind to vaccine acceptance. And then there's the circle that is larger outside of that, which is the hesitant individual. This person, however, can be coerced, according to them. They have a high probability of change of mind to vaccine acceptance. Again, they expand on the term vocal vaccine denier. Skewing the science, here's table two, it's titled Actions Undertaken to Spread Messages of Vaccine Denialism. Skewing the science, shifting the hypothesis, censorship, and attacking the opposition. They say vocal vaccine deniers use personal insults and even legal action to silence representatives of the scientific consensus. No, that's what you do. You use censorship, you use skewing the science, and you use shifting your hypothesis because that's what they've been doing the entire time. It's astounding. This entire document was written by psychopaths. Uh, Here's the next one. Table three, motivations to reject science about vaccination. And then it has a reference where they adapt this from, and they adapt it from psychopaths. They adapt this from psychology research on manipulation and persuasion. It says personal identity expression. People can be motivated to reject science about vaccination in order to express their identity as a nonconformist or a reactant individual. Sounds like them, doesn't it? Conspiratorial ideation is the next one. People can be motivated to reject science about vaccination to express their belief that those in power are hiding the truth. Financial interests is the next one. People can be motivated to reject science about vaccination because they profit from spreading an anti-vaccine attitude. The next one says, fear of needles and disgust. People can be motivated to reject science about vaccination to rationalize their fear of needles and their disgust towards hospital settings. They think that we use that as an excuse because we don't want to get jabbed with their poison. That's funny. I'm not afraid of needles. I'm afraid of needles with poison. I've touched needles before. I've sewn with them. I've done lots of things. Sewing, mostly. I don't know what else I've really done. (laughs) You just, you sew with them. Uh, You know, and sometimes, yes, you have to put them in your body to receive a particular kind of drug because of a particular illness or anesthesia or whatever it may be. But no, not biological weapons or poison for that matter. Expression of moral values is the next one that they say we use as an excuse. People can be motivated to reject science about vaccination to express their moral value of purity. Like that's a bad thing. And social identity needs. People can be motivated to reject science about vaccination to align with social norms of their peers. As if to say again, vaccine deniers huddle in groups. And when they all get together, there's no convincing them. Weird. It's almost like The jabbed only talk with their jabbed friends. It's almost like the jabbed only talk with people who are jabbed. 
Remember all that criticism, family members not wanting to talk to family members because they weren't jabbed? Well, you're not jabbed. I don't want to have a conversation with you. I don't want to be around you. You're not jabbed. That's funny. Chapter two of this document is the target audience. We know, we know who that is. It says the general public is your target audience, not the vocal vaccine denier. Because they know that the vocal vaccine denier will not have our, change, our minds changed. We, can't, we aren't going to budge. But they, again, seek to discredit us with name-calling and smearing us, and you deny the science. Okay. And then understanding the target audience, now they want you to learn how to go after these people. The difference between negativity bias and narrative bias, confirmation bias and the backfire effect or familiarity. The word debunking is in here. This stupid word. By the way, anybody who says the word debunk is a leftist. That's how they identify themselves. They identify themselves with the words they use. Fact check, that's another one. There are, there's a boatload of words that you can hear leftists use and non-thinking people use. Debunking is one of them. It's disgusting. The audience seeks for explanations of why a message of a vocal vaccine denier is incorrect. Chapter 3 is the speaker. Facing a discussion with a vocal vaccine denier, you, as the spokesperson, should always remember that the most substantial arguments are on your side. It's a brainwashing document, too. Who should the spokesperson be who's trying to spread the positive message? What should they do verbally? They should use metaphors. They should use stories and anecdotes. Uh, expressions of, uh, expression of moral conviction. Rhetorical questions, blah, blah, blah. Conveying confidence. Again, nonverbal strategies, facial expressions and gestures that should be used. And then what the vaccine denier will look like and sound like. This, this again, this entire document was written by psychopaths. It's over 48 pages long. Again, it's on my website now. I'm not going to go through the entire thing. They have Venn diagrams of what to do, what people's particular answers will be, and if their answer is this or that, then you either go in this direction or you go in that direction. These psychos have it all figured out, so they think. But again, it's just projection. That's all it is. It's rationalization. It's projection. They're the guilty party. We know it, and they're going to find out the hard way. It's that simple. They're being manipulated to death. The human race is being manipulated to death. And now again, ladies and gentlemen, these jabs have made their way onto the CDC's recommended vaccine schedule for youth, adolescents, and adults. Good luck. It's only a matter of time. I don't know what else to say. Hopefully in the next episode, I'm going to have a 5G conversation with Mark Steele. We will see if that takes place or or not. If not, I certainly have plenty to discuss. So stick around for that, and I will catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.